Welcome to another episode of Dear Black Girl. Now, before I introduce you to this month's guest, I want to remind you to rate and leave a review if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. Now, in this episode, we're talking with C. Nicole, who is a multi-hyphenated businesswoman and creative with a love for travel. Now, this girl has 98 and counting countries already under her belt, and she's not even 30 yet. So sit back and listen as we chat about her love for travel, songwriting, and her newly created nonprofit, Pan-African Think Tank. And now, I was reading your bio, and first of all, 96 countries? (laughs) I'm at 98 now, so... (laughs) Wait, how? (laughs) What? Hey, I guess two happened in between. So, you know, I just came from Belize like a few a week ago and then now I'm in Angola. So that's 98. <laughs> well, okay. So that's really interesting because we're like in um, COVID. I know so many of you want to travel now. Like how did you bypass that fear of traveling to other places during COVID? Um, so I was traveling when COVID like first topped on the scene, <laughs> like oh, wow. in, de- in December, January, it wasn't until the U.S. went on lockdown in March, but COVID had already been around. And okay. so from January to March, I had traveled to about 10 different countries. So in my mindset, I was just kind of like, well, you know, I was traveling during COVID before, so I'm not going to be fearful to travel during COVID now. Girl, like, that's a feat. 98 countries. Like, <laughs> how did this all kick off? That's what I want to know. How did this all kick off? Yes, yeah, so I ended up studying abroad, studying abroad twice in college. So um, once in London for the summer and then once in Ghana, um, actually traveling around Ghana doing, doing school. So that was the two things that kind of like the study abroad just kicked it off. Okay. And, I, and I'm guessing you're like solo traveling, like, I know. Yes. <laughs> no, because it's, it's such an interesting topic, especially for Black women, um, solo traveling across the world, because, you know, people just try to scare women out of, like, traveling alone by themselves, and also Black, especially Black women. So, like, how did you get the nerve to, like, solo travel by yourself without, like, the study abroad program? Um, so basically the first time I studied abroad was by myself. Okay. So in my mind, like since the first time I left the country, I was by myself. Then in my mind, I'm just going to continue. I'm going to keep being by myself. Uh, and then like the whole fear thing, I actually don't watch the news. I read the news because I feel like when you watch the news, you see all these biased tones and um, body language and so, therefore, I choose what I'm going to put in my conscience and my subconscious. That's what makes people really fearful, right? And obviously, I don't have people around me that are doubting my abilities and what I want to do. Um, I was raised by a single father. So a lot of the things that people try, a lot of the fears that people try to instill in women, you know, were, wasn't instilled in me because I was raised by a man. So, therefore, whatever I saw him doing, I felt I could do as well. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about the Pan-African Think Tank. Um, So what kicked that off? And tell us a little bit about the purpose of it. So Pan-African Think Tank, our mission is to bridge the gap between Africa and the African diaspora um, through Pan-African forms is research as a means to collectively advocate. Basically, we go around having forms, trying to figure out 
what are our top 10 issues collectively, like together, like whether you're in Africa or in the African diaspora. And so then we can go about and try to fix those. So basically we do on the ground, um, capture on the ground data. And what kicked that off was travel. Like I had been to 79 countries at that point and just meeting people in Africa and meeting people of African descent within a diaspora. And I just thought they were so different. And I'm like, no, like we, we have the same issues. You know, we come from the same place. And it's basically going to be, you know, having the conversation, it's just telling them it's basically going to be up to us to fix our own issues. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just start a nonprofit and we see how that goes. So how's it been going? You know, we're in year two. Year one kind of slowed down because of COVID, but I'm back out here now. So we have five phases of forms to get through. And since it's year two, we are on phase two. So um, things are still going smoothly. So I'm happy for that. <laughs> so, okay. So I see that you, um, coming out of college, like you were, you started a marketing company and worked in television and film production between yeah. LA and Dallas. So yeah. what, okay. So what happened for you to, um, are, well, are you, first of all, are you still in television and film production? Um, no, I, I do like it occasionally just for my own things. You know, I hire my own crew cause you know, I've produced and directed so much, but like as a full-time thing, no. Okay. So what made you decide to be like, all right, this is cool, but this is what I ultimately want to do now. Like what made you change your direct, your direction of what you were doing before to now? Yeah. So television and film it's 12 hour days. That's usually, you know, how long you're going to work. Um, and I just wasn't able to do the things I wanted to do. And I was just like, something has to give. So I just let it go. <laughs> okay. And what about um, your marketing company? Because, like, I will like, most people don't think coming right out of college, like, okay, I'm going to start a company. <laughs> usually it's like, yeah, so... body, like I don't want to do this anymore. But you decided, like, no, I'm going to start this company. <laughs> Yeah, so I graduated during the recession, so okay. I couldn't find a job. Like, I kept going on interviews for six months at marketing agencies, and I was just like, you know, forget this. Like, I'm just going to do my own thing, and I've been self-employed, like, since forever. I've never worked a nine-to-five. So um, do I still have the marketing company? Yes. This, week, this year, we are taking a break because I want to, like, hone in on Pan-African Think Tank, but... We'll be back accepting new clients um, next year. So, yeah, it's still there. <laughs> you think you own whatever land you land on. So, Walk on is Colors of the Wind. That whole movie came out when I was four years old. And I don't, I don't think I knew, or maybe I subconsciously knew, like, how woke that song was. <laughs> and, like, I guess how woke I would eventually be, like... She's talking real stuff in that song, you know, about how these people are coming in and saying they're savages, but it's like, you know, you don't know what we're about. You just, you have your own thoughts. And, you know, it just applies to my life today. Like it's forever apply. You know, I travel so much and you, you, and people seem to think that their way is the best way or, you know, they can do better things with your resources. And it's just like, who are you to say this? You know, we realize that with the way they colonialize Africa, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just one of my favorite songs. It's so melodic. And, you know, she's talking about real stuff for that to be a kid's movie. I love Pocahontas. 
that's just me in general. Let me talk about real stuff. Okay. <laughs> but like, um, let's talk about that because I know um, people have people from different places have misconceptions or idea of like how certain places are. So, what was one place you visited that was completely different than what you thought it was going to be like? Yeah. So I would say like Brazil. Um, like I had been getting told like ever since I was younger that like Brazil is like super dangerous and don't go there and you know the people are this the people are that and I ended up going to Brazil by myself and loved it um I looked Brazilian and so like I was able to like move around like a local and I'm like these people are just like the people back home they're just trying to make it and you know it's it's crime everywhere and I enjoyed much that I came I went back like two years later and did two carnivals um with them so yeah yeah because like Brazil is like isn't this full of black people (laughs) yeah and I was like you know what maybe y'all saying that because of that you know and I'm like (laughs) you know I'm the same colors so I don't see no difference (laughs) no because like it's so it amazes me because like whenever you go on like uh the travel advisory uh, pages they'll always tell you they'll always tell you like look out for terrorist attack th- th- this and look out for terrorist attack that but I always wonder what other countries travel advisory pages say for America <laughs> that part <laughs> <laughs> so you also have you've also written two books um, one's the pan-african think tank volume one and the other one is no I said that wrong sorry one is American presidential parties uh their relevance in the people of African descent and the other one is the rain Africa so talk about those two books yeah so American presidential parties their relevance to people of African descent was really like supposed to be a research paper and um I was basically trying to collect data for Pan-African think tank about what each um party has done for people of African descent because you know like People of African descent, I feel like lean towards Democrats, but they don't know why they lean towards Democrats. It's yes. so I was just trying to tell them to like, you know, don't look at that and kind of like just just look at the history and what have they done to just to like try to think about what they will do. And so the the paper was like turning into a book, and so I was like, forget it, I'll just make it a book. <laughs> and so um, yeah, and then I wrote the Rain Africa. The children's book, basically, it's highlighting 20 different ethnic groups in Africa with, you know, childlike illustrations and something that they can understand. I'm just trying to market Africa in a positive light. A lot of times kids, especially in the Western world, they think that we started out at slavery. And I'm like, no, like, there's a whole, like, situation going on in Africa where your ancestors came from. So, yeah. So what was that experience like the first time? Because Ghana is the first uh, Africa country in Africa you went to right yeah so what was that experience like the first time you went over there? it was it was hard because the first time I studied abroad I was in the UK which is a western world which makes your brain think like you know things are kind of going to be the same everywhere and mm-hmm. then you get to Ghana and then you're like oh no nah, this is not home you know like this is not what I'm used to in the sense of um you know, sometimes there's rolling blackouts and, you know, some of the streets are paved with dirt. And um, this, I went to Ghana in 2011. So Ghana is like 
I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like way better built up now, but back then it was just like an eye opener. It's like, you know, people really do things differently. People really do live life differently. Don't have the same things, don't have the same conveniences. So, um, it was a long, it felt like the longest trip of my life at the time, just because I was uncomfortable because I was not in a place that I was used to doing the things that I was used to. Um, but of course, that's what traveling is about. And so Ghana taught me that because like I've been to several places where I was like, yeah, this is probably not ideal, but that's a part of the learning process as part of the experience. He, he left no my house is my favorite songwriter because I write music as well and she taught me just how to just write what you feel like don't BS it like just say what you have to say and let that be it and Back to Black was one of those like raw hardcore songs where she really was just saying exactly how she felt um, you know no filters just jazzy just bluesy just her voice was so powerful and you know women sometimes I feel like when they write songs they feel like it has to be you know super feminine I feel like and I feel like Amy was just you know she was just going to be who she was going to be and sometimes I feel like a lot of women writers aren't like that because they're told that they shouldn't write like that but just her whole writing style the melody and her voice kind of like captured me. <laughs> so how did you get into singing and songwriting? Yeah, so I've been singing since I was like three years old. And when I was seven, I told myself I wanted to be a singer. And my, I got to like middle school and my dad was like, you're not going to school for music, so you better figure something else out. <laughs> and so I was like, man, well, you know, I told him I was like, you know, writers make more money than singers. And so I just started writing. I was like, if, you know, if I'm going to make money, I'd rather make make more money than the singers make and I can just write as well so um I got into this singing group when I was 10 years old and we didn't have any songs and I was like fine I'll write some songs and by the time I was 16 I had written 1100 songs I think to date I've written 1600 songs I'm just really good with words because like you see I write songs I write books I've written scripts so I just think words are powerful and just to write your own songs I feel like that's everything. Like, I don't ever want to sing anyone else's songs. Like, when I put out music, I just want to sing the songs that I wrote. So what has that been like? Because um, ha have you had to, like, uh, send your song, your, the songs you've written out to other artists yet? Or do you just keep them for yourself? Yeah, so when I started out, um, I had got collabed with a producer. So when I was, I'm 29 now, but when I was, like, 17 18 19 20 I was collabing with a producer and we would shop our songs around um you know to send to other singers if they like it and whatnot mm -hmm. the the turnover rate in the industry is so high so we would get someplace and then like the A&R is fired or you know they went on to do something else or or that singer dropped the label or they're shelving the the project and so after that, I kind of like gave up on shopping songs around. It was like, I'm just going to sing them because I know if I sing them, then they're going to come out. <laughs> um, and then like, even now, I don't really want to write for anyone because 
I don't want to succumb to writing the music that's on the radio. I feel like a lot of the music that's on the radio is not positive, especially for the younger generation, just lead them down a destructive path. And so I, I would never write like that. Yeah, I would definitely say music definitely plays a very important part on how, your, how you feel and your mental health without you even realizing it. Oh, most definitely. Yes, so, uh, man, like, I know that's supposed to be, like, Beyonce's album for the movie, but, like, none of the songs that she wrote were my favorite. Like, it was this one. And as soon as the beat comes on and, you know, it's just, it's just a feel good song that's telling you, like, especially telling the youth and young kids, like, they have the keys to do whatever they want to do. Like, you know, they come from royalty, don't let anyone tell them differently. And that's something that I take with me when I do my nonprofit stuff. Like when I'm talking to the youth, I just look at them like they have so much potential and you just hope and pray that they know that they can do whatever they put their minds to, even though there's going to be adversity. And so that's kind of like one of those pick-me-up songs where it's like, you know, you kind of low-key remind yourself the same thing <laughs> sometimes. And so, yeah, I that's just a feel-good, like, positive, like, yeah, I, I listen to that song all the time. So, so what are some things you've learned about yourself through your experiences? Um, with travel or just with, like, uh, the things that I do? With travel and the things that you've done. Okay, so with travel, like, I've learned that I don't have to have all the things I thought I had. You know, especially being an American, you feel like, oh, like, if I don't have this brand or if I don't have, you know, this car, or if I don't have this house or I don't have, you know, this and that, you kind of feel like maybe it's the pressures of social media or just our society, you know? You kind of just feel like, man, maybe I'm failing or maybe I'm not doing as much as I could. But then when you travel, I tell people all the time, like, I'm already rich because I've been to some places where people are, like, literally living off a dollar a day. And so it puts things into perspective, like, these people are living off a dollar a day and they're still making it. They're still happy. And so what is our problem, especially in America, that we feel we need this, that? So that's something I definitely learned. I, I definitely like don't care about the pressures of what everyone else is doing in social media because I already know how blessed I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like as far as like some of the things that I do, especially like with Pan-African Think Tank and writing the book, um, I don't know. I just learned that I have a bigger passion for educating others than I thought. Like even to the point where I'm like, hmm, maybe when I get in my 50s or 60s, I'll be a professor somewhere teaching history. So, <laughs> yeah. So what's one of the most memorable, mem- memorable experiences you've had on your journey thus far? Um, man, I... Well, through my travels, I did, um, I went to Carnival in Trinidad and Tobago, and (laughs) it was just so dope because I realized that the way we party, like, especially, like, in the state, is nothing like how they get down the Caribbean. Like, they're on a whole different level, like, 
yeah, I almost died. I was like, this is too much. So I, just the whole experience of experiencing Carnival and Trini, like that's the best one I would recommend for anyone. So that was like one of my funnest experiences to date. Um, but I've also had like, you know, inspirational experiences where I went to Mount Kilimanjaro in um, on the border of like Kenya and Tanzania and met some of the Masi tribe, which inspired me to write The Rain Africa. You know, just thinking about how these kids would probably may not ever in their life get to come over here or you know may learn about this tribe later in life but if they have the book they can learn about it earlier so yeah it's, it just depends on what it is but it, it's so many great experiences i probably shouldn't have been singing that song at such a young age i believe that song came out when i was like seven <laughs> but <laughs> she is the one who maybe wants to be a singer like at first, I was, you know, you're just young, you just sing stuff just to sing stuff. But like seeing her, like especially at the time, you know, she was a brown skinned chick with curly hair. And at the time, I don't really think I saw that, you know, everybody kind of had like straight hair and stuff like that. So that kind of what made me gravitate towards her because I have the same curly hair as her. And I just liked her sound. I mean, of course, it was featuring Cisco and Cisco, was, you know, he was hot. He came from Drew Hill and just the video, you know, she was a dancer and I danced too. And um, yeah, without that song, I would would not have ever bought that album. And without that album, I would not have ever wanted to be a singer. So that's why that song is like forever important. <laughs> so let's talk about your journey um, being a singer. Um, what, what has that experience been like for you? Because I know it's different for a lot of people. Yeah, so it's pretty hard because, um, you know, I've had offers to sign to big labels, but, you know, they want you to change your style, change what you think about, change this. And I've always been authentically me. I've never felt I had to change for anyone or anything. And I will turn down things in a heartbeat. Like, I don't care how much, um, I don't care how much money it is that they're offering because, you know, I, I won't sell myself short. And so, because I only write positive music, it is harder to get my things out there. But the people who hear it and they, you know, they all are about positive music, then, you know, they love it. And that's what matters to me the most. Um, especially like when you're in, in the entertainment business, it's new people coming out every day. It's a new song every day. And that is one of the hardest ventures that I have because it's just like trying to be consistent. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely one of those things that you would call a passion project, right? So you, you only keep doing it because you have a passion for it. Because honestly, like being a singer, you don't really make much money. Obviously, I write my own songs and I own my own publishing. So that's where the bulk of my money comes from. Um, but it's just, I just want to put good music out there to try to combat the negative music because it's so much of that. So that, that, the singing journey is definitely trials and tribulations, but, um, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> so what keeps you motivated to do it? Because I know a lot of people, they'll be like, it's not worth it, or they'll just, like, fall out of love with it because of all, all the downsides. Yeah, so what keeps there's you so many downsides, as you said, you know, especially, like, just the industry, and especially, like, being a female, you know, it's dominated by males. Um, what keeps me going with it is like, <laughs> I've honestly already like written and demoed my next five projects. 
Mm-hmm. So in my head, it's just like, well, they're already done. So we're just going to keep dropping them. Like, so that, so for me, that's, that's what keeps me going. I've already spent the money. I've already paid the producers, you know? So let's talk about the one you just released, a Pan-African Think Tank Volume 1. That's, that's a, yeah, a, a project you just released. What's this one about? Yeah, so I wanted to get the name out about the nonprofit a little bit more. So I was like, well, hey, I can drop music too. And so if they ever Google it, they'll see the music come up and the nonprofit and be like, oh, makes sense. Um, this is... I switch genres. I usually sing urban pop, but I went to tribal trill. So basically tribal trill is like Southern beats with African grooves and percussion, like paying homage to my Texas roots, but also like the motherland. And so I worked with this producer out in Jamaica called Ghost Knight. And he just, we just crafted this sound together that just went so well. And so every song is basically a positive song about, you know, uplifting the culture, also with a little history thrown in there, but something you can groove to, something you can vibe with. So like the first single is ghetto and, you know, I'm telling them, you know, nothing about our culture is ghetto. Like people try, of other ethnicities, try to make it seem like, you know, it is, but it's not, it's our culture. Like, you know, from our hair to what we eat, to how we dress, to how we dance, you know, to the influences we had by inventing things such, you know, such as rock and roll and, and hip hop and, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just positivity. <laughs> yeah, like that's a song that I will play to this day, and I get so hyped. <laughs> so, Lupe Fiasco is like is the first rapper that I really did called my favorite rapper. Like when I started getting into hip hop around 15, 16 year, year old, years old. Like before, I was just strictly R and B and pop, but then I started getting into hip hop. And that song, he's talking about, like, people are so used to not seeing anything real, to not having anything real, that they don't know how to act, they don't know how to feel. So it's just so much fake stuff going around. People are giving them misinformation or um, people are giving them negative information that when someone finally comes along, like, they're just, like, so confused. And he's saying, like, no, he's someone that's coming along putting the real back into, you know, what was fake. And I feel like that's, that's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> so I was like, I feel you, Lupe, I feel you. <laughs> so what do you want your legacy to be? Man, I just, I just want it to be just me helping others. Like, like the people that I come into contact with, doing better than me I don't plan on you know like leaving a legacy as far as like having any kids and that has never been in my in my you know my thoughts so I just want to help every every youth that I come into contact with to be better than me you know equip them with the tools that I had so they can go further you know um because you know not everybody comes from the same upbringing so if you can equip them with the tools you have but at a younger age they can go further. So my legacy is just helping the youth go further than me. <laughs> so what's advice to um, people that want to travel but feel like they can't travel because um, I know like with, especially like with America, like I know black people haven't been able to travel for years in the past because of finance and stuff like that. So what's advice should we give to people that like want to travel outside of their certain 
comfort zone and see other places. Yeah, so the black dollar, especially in America, is is ridiculous. Like in the trillions, we have the money. We just allocate it to different things. Mm-hmm. Like for example, Christmas. I've seen so many parents like allocate all their yearly savings to Christmas. And I'm like, you could take that time and go on a trip or save it and go somewhere else, you know, and you can travel within your country um, just to a different state or something like that. So my advice would be, you probably should stop the consumerism, (laughs) save that money. And then you go travel, you pay for the experience. Now I do get it. There's some people who just really don't have it. Um, And for those people, I would say you can still travel, but you can travel within your city. I know, like, for example, I live in Dallas and Dallas has this program where if you have a library card, um, you can go to the symphony for free. You can go to like the Arboretum and things like that. So that's still traveling, like going to a symphony is something a lot of kids have never done, will never get to do, even some adults. So just finding things in your city that, um, that take you out of your neighborhood, you know, things that you're not used to seeing. But like I said, the States is so big and Spirit got flights for $15. (laughs) So I'm not trying to hear it. (laughs) Girl, people be afraid to get on Spirit. (laughs) I'll hop on Spirit. I call that the, um, the, the Greyhound of flights. (laughs) (laughs) Dear black girl, girl you are super dope don't let anyone tell you otherwise you can be anything you want to be you can do anything you want to do but it is all up to you please protect your conscious and definitely your subconscious please be aware of what you let in and who you let around you um please know that what will be for you will be for you um take your time don't worry about what everyone else is doing you are running your own race um, just be authentically you. Sincerely, C. Nicole. And that's a wrap. As always, thank you for kicking it with us this season. We really do appreciate the continued support and hope these stories bring you laughter, joy, self-reflection, and a little inspiration. Have a great summer, and we'll be back with Season 5 in September.